Today begins a two-part series on biblical child-rearing, and I'll speak to how it applies to all of us here shortly, but let us pray and go before our God and Father. O Lord God, bless us in your service and make us strong in our family life, especially with the gift of children, which you graciously bestow upon us. Strengthen us that we might serve you acceptably, that we might do your will here upon the earth, and might be more than conquerors through Christ our Lord. Grant us by your Spirit that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O God, for the sake of your Son, Jesus. Amen. Let us today hear two short passages of Scripture, which we will use for our lens here today. We see in Genesis chapter 1, beginning in verse 26. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So, God created man in his own image, and in the image of God he created him, male and created them. Male and female, he created them. And First uh, Timothy chapter 4, verse 8. For bodily exercise profits little, but godliness is profitable for all things, having promise of life that now is, and of that which is to come. So, as we consider God's word today, and the children in our midst, let us understand that children are deadly. If you love children, they are a threat to your happiness. Children cause us to die to our selfishness. When they're small, simply so they may live. And as they get older, because they point to our own inconsistencies and hypocrisy. We desire simplicity in getting through parenting. We want step-by-step instructions that provide a guarantee of our desired outcome. Writers, publishers, and even Amazon knows our desire. Right now, there are more than 100,000 titles about parenting on Amazon. The goals of the parenting books vary from how to cope as a parent to how to create good humans. Some of these books include strategies, techniques, and even helpful talks to have with your children. In the Christian world, we have many of these same styles and ideas couched in Christian terms. To be sure, there are great and helpful books on parenting published that keep God's word at the center and are revealing to us about ourselves and our children. But be careful. There is no system or strategy that allows you to say, well, I've checked off all the boxes, so I know my kids will be great people and go to heaven. There is only one hope for your children. It is in God alone. You must have faith in God to point where you will believe, excuse me, you must have faith in God to the point where you will believe God 
and what he says in his word, so much so that you demonstrate your trust by doing what God's word says about your own actions and how you are to train up your children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. Wow, we got all this going. Some of you are about to check out. Please don't. For those of you who are not currently parenting young children or teens, do not check out from this sermon. When we consider what God says about children, we are able to consider our own childhoods, our past parenting mistakes with our own children that need repentance and restoration, and our responsibility in assisting those in our church and families with children in their care. Remember, every time that we baptize an infant or a child, you in this church take an oath to assist those parents to bring their children up in the fear and admonition of the Lord. Children are a serious matter. Of all that you've done this week, which of these things will last for eternity? Your business won't be in eternity. Your achievements won't last to eternity. I want you to look around this room. Do you see the people in this room? Kids, look around. Parents, look around. Those of you with no children, look around. Do you see the people here? Do you see the elders in the room? Do you see the children in this room? All of these people today in this room and out there will be in eternity. As C.S. Lewis has said in his book, The Weight of Glory, there are no ordinary people. You have talked to no mere mortal. These children here today are immortal. They will go to dwell in the house of the Lord forever or dwell in the lake of fire eternally. So let us stop living in unbelief. Let us live as our God teaches us in his holy word. First of all, we need to understand that children are a gift from God. Psalm 127 verse 3 says this, Behold, children are a heritage From Yahweh, the fruit of the womb is a reward. Conception is an act of God. Children are not a product of wise planning. We can prevent pregnancy in some cases, but we cannot cause conception. God says that the fruit of the womb is a reward. Children are gifts. Once again, I say to you, children are deadly. That is why God gives them. They are a blessing because they cause us to die to ourselves, to be like Christ Jesus. James 1.16 and 17 say this, Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. This is why we should rejoice every time God gives us 
or someone else a child. This teaches us that there are no children, none, who are mistakes. Each child is a gift for us and to those whom God gives them to. They are a gift for us to bless us and to bless others. One of the gifts provided in children is that they expose the sin that is latent in our own hearts. I'm going to pause right there. We don't really like that part of parenting, do we? Can we be honest? It's a challenge. And even if you don't have children of your own, if you're a grandparent, an aunt, just the neighbor of someone, they expose the sin that's already in our hearts. And what should our attitude be towards this? We must have gratitude towards God for our children, even, are we listening, when they test our perseverance. You know what I'm talking about. Those days when the wife says to her husband, your children are going to need your attention when you get home. It's funny how that goes. We don't say, our children, it's yours. Children act this way for one of two reasons, right? One, because they're learning. Sometimes they are operating out of ignorance, right? And also because all children are corrupted by sin. Psalm 51.5 says this, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. Now I want to be clear about this. He's not saying that his mother was sinning when she conceived him. It's about the fact that he was conceived and sin was in his heart. You know, this is contrary to the current popular understanding, even by many in the church. The 18th century French philosopher Rousseau believed that man was naturally good, but ruined by society. Of course, this is backwards. Men are sinners and their sin ruins society. Certainly, the sins of parents have direct impact on their children. We see that in Deuteronomy 6. But folly, contrasted to the wisdom of God, is bound up in the heart of children. That's Proverbs 22. You know, when we look at Psalm 14, we see it says this, The fool has said in his heart, There is no God. They are corrupt. They have done abominable, bad works. (laughs) Really terrible ones. Tongue-tied here on that one. It goes on to say, there is none who does good. Yahweh looks down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there are any who understand, who seek God. They have all turned aside they have together become corrupt. There is none who does good, no, not one. And of course, if, if you've heard that verse, you've heard that quoted by the Apostle Paul in Romans 3. We also see in Jeremiah 17, 9. Are we listening? Children, this is about your own heart. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? 
I, Yahweh, search the heart. I test the mind, even to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doings. Now, we see all this, and right now, some of you are going, yeah, I see it in my kids, I see it in myself, I get all this. But sometimes we look at those little babies and we're like, what? Now, some of you know, uh, most of you know, I've, I've had a, a gaggle of kids. Um, I've been around lots of kids in my life. You ever noticed that even a small infant, they will have two kinds of cries? The needy cry and the mad cry, right? Right there. They can't even get around on their hands and knees yet. Why are they angry? Because they couldn't get their way. They didn't get the desire of their heart at that moment. And of course, I'm going to throw my grandson under the bus right here. The, just yesterday, he was at our house, and we've been teaching him not to climb up the stairs right? He started to walk over there. His mother said, don't, do, don't go up the stairs. And he turns around and he looks. And so, you know, being the good grandfather I am, I reinforce it. Don't go up those stairs. And he's standing there and he puts his hand on one of the spindles to the step. That's okay because he's not going up the stairs. And then he would do this. Uh, some of you can't see, but he'd pick up his foot and I'd go, no, sir. He'd look his foot down on the floor. A few minutes goes by, he'd look over, lift up his foot. <laughs> we went through that exercise a couple of times before we went over and addressed it. But that's in the heart of a, ch of, of a child, of a baby, right? They, they're going to do that because sin is in their heart. So we see that our children are born in sin and must be reconciled to God. Wonderfully so, provided by God, God's promise to us is to be our God and the God of our children. And this is spoken of both in the Old Testament, we certainly see it a lot in Deuteronomy and other parts of the law, but we also see it in the New Testament in Acts chapter 2. So we must believe God and treat them as his people. We know sin's in their heart, they must be reconciled to God but they do belong to God our Father. So children are created in the image of God. Our passage today from Genesis 1 tells us that we are created in God's image. All are, that is all our children and all of us, must conform to Christ. We must teach our children to be godly, to be like Him. As God's people... God changes us. We see in Ezekiel eleven nineteen, Then I will give them one heart, and I will put a new spirit in them, and I will take out the stony heart of their flesh, that's that sinful heart, and I will give them a, a heart of flesh. So he takes away that stony heart, and he gives us a heart of flesh. He actually makes us into the new humanity after Christ Jesus. And the Spirit does this work. Because of God's mercy and grace to us, we to train our children to reflect God's character. So before I do this, I want to say a couple of things. I'm going to reflect a little bit on God's character and some applications to our children, which obviously reflects on us. But it is not today, you know, I could spend three sermons just hitting through these. 
We're going to talk this in some very broad swaths. I'll be doing a second sermon on, particularly on godly discipline, how God disciplines us, and then how um, we are to discipline our children. But, but I, I want today for us to take this, it's, like I said, I can't cover everything, or we'll be here till 2 o'clock. But, but I, I want us today to receive these things, and if I miss something that's on your mind, come talk to me. Let's look and see what Scripture says. So all of this, we want to make sure that we are submitting ourselves and evaluating how we parent to see if it's according to the Scripture. So first of all, God is full of all knowledge and wisdom. And I'm going to pause right here because you know a lot of today, oh, I've got to get my kids a good education so they can get a good job, so they can put their kids to a good school and get a good education. And it totally moves us away from what knowledge is for. Knowledge is not about gaining money. Knowledge is not about um, simply getting a good job. But knowledge is so that we may worship the Lord. Proverbs 9, 10 tells us, this, tells us this, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of His Holy One is understanding. So if we're going to get knowledge, right? If we're going to get understanding, it starts with fear of the Lord. Psalm 111.10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding have all those who what? Do His commandments. And it ends, his praise endures forever. So the purpose of all this is for us to worship God. And God is kind and he's given us this world to take dominion, to care for, to make it better. But everything is askew if it's not focused on being a worshiper of the Almighty first. In order to gain wisdom and knowledge, our children must fear God. They must understand that He is holy and just. We must teach our children how to live according to His Word. God is holy and just, but listen, just as our loving Father is. And He has provided us with standards for good. Why does He do that? So that things may go well with us. And more importantly, not only does he have these standards, but because we have violated them, God himself took the punishment for our sins and placed them onto his son. He stepped in the way of what we justly deserved. So he has standards because he wants to give us good and he wants us to learn and mature, but also understand that he also took the punishment because we violated those standards. Our children must learn that nothing is more important than worship. We must teach them through our own attitudes, preparations, and practice that they are to worship God on the Lord's Day, Leviticus 23. We are not to allow other priorities to stop us from worship of the triune God. Otherwise, we are violating the first commandment. You shall have no other gods before me, found in Exodus 20. Now, I just want to say this. It, it, this is never about self-serving so the preacher can say how many people he has in his service. If you're on vacation, find a church, 
and worship with God's people there. If you're on business, right, and you're traveling on a Sunday, find a church and worship with God's people there. When a tragedy happens in your household, when a crisis happens, don't say we're going to gather as our family and stay together. No, go to the house of the Lord. Teach your children that in good and in bad and in blessing and what appears to be curses, we go to the house of God and worship Him. Our children must learn all of life and creation from and in submission to the Bible. This means Christian education is not optional. And this can be done in a variety of ways, but it must be done. All education is discipleship to some God. All education, by its very nature, is religious. Why do I say that? It's because what's being taught is always about what the teacher thinks and what the writers of the curriculum believe. Our children must learn everything in the world from the perspective of the scriptures. Our children must be taught to submit to the authority of God and his representatives. Guess what, parents? You are his representatives. We know that life is found in God's word, Matthew 4. Jesus says this, he answered them, It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And that's a quote from Deuteronomy 8. The opposite is true as well. Proverbs 14, 12 tells us this. There is a way that seems right to man, that is, right to your child. But in the end, it is the way of death. Parents, listen up. Children, look up here. Our, your parents need to teach you children the principle that God's word brings life and health to you. And they are to teach you to obey their word. Are you looking? They are to teach you that they are God's representative and they are to teach you that God's word brings life and health to you. I'm going to make it real simple. Kids, look up here at me. Have you ever seen, I'll, I'll do this to start with, your little brother or sister when they were small and they started to run off towards the road and your parents say stop? Why did they do that? Why did they do that? Because they want to keep you from being run over, injured or even killed. And you know, it's easy when we talk about a, a vehicle hitting them, but what about the repercussions from allowing sin to run wild in their life. That's just as deadly. And parents, when you do not get up from where you're sitting or stop your conversation and go deal with your children when they start, when you tell them don't do something and they do it and you don't go deal with that, you're teaching them incorrectly about God's word bringing life and health and being good for them. Are you tracking with me? Got to die to yourself. When you do this, you are catechizing your children. That is, you are teaching them that God's word isn't true. 
More importantly, you are reinforcing the idea that disobeying God's word doesn't bring harm or death. If you only deal with your child ignoring your word when you feel like it, you are teaching them that God's word only has to be followed when they feel like it. Suddenly, obedience becomes tied to their mood. Why is that? Because discipline is only tied to your mood. Mom, or your mood, Dad, your teaching and admonishment should be filled with God's words so that they learn that your authority comes from God. You are God's representative to them. We'll speak more on the disciplinary side of that the next, in my next sermon to you. We must teach our children to hate sin. We must teach them that sin hurts. We must teach them that sin robs them and others around them of blessedness. Our children must learn that sin breaks the connection between joy and happiness. That is to say, when we don't obey God, there's a break. Our joy and our happiness is disconnected. But in obedience, there is joy and happiness. I'm going to pause here because, you know, some of you have had some challenging lives growing up, right? Your parents sinned. They sinned against you. They sinned against others. They did all kinds of things. What we're talking about here is parenting according to God's word. We're discounting unbiblical, ungodly parenting. We've got to say, okay, I can't just simply say, well, I'm not going to discipline my child the way the Word of God says. I'm not going to treat my child the way the Word of God says treat them because of my history and my background. Rather, I have to say, I'm going to believe God's Word. And remember what His Word says, that His kindness brings us to repentance. It actually says, the Word of God says, if you don't discipline your child, you hate them. Why? Because you're teaching them that to sin is, to, is acceptable, and you know that it brings death. Our children must be taught to turn from evil. They must learn that God designed them and made them for a specific purpose. Our children need to know that no one gets to choose their identity. They must be taught that sin contradicts what I was created for. We all have a glorious calling to be a man or a woman. Despite popular thought, we are born male or female, as God has designed. And you know what? I said this in the beginning. God doesn't make mistakes. We must teach our children to confess sin. They should not be allowed to say, this is an important one on a practical side. They should not be allowed to say, I'm sorry. You know what? They are sorry. They're sorry they, caught, they got caught. They're sorry because they sinned. But rather, they need to say, I did whatever the specific sin is against God and against that person. And then they need to ask God and that person or persons for forgiveness. 
The pattern of confession of sin is taught in our corporate confession of sin on the Lord's Day. It is reinforced by our confession as parents to each other and our children. And I spent last week when we were talking about marriage a good deal of time unpacking that. We should teach our children the clearing of sinful accounts quickly and daily. Psalm 103.13 says this, As a father pities his children, so Yahweh pities those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. Parents, fathers in particular, but parents both, don't provoke your children. Do not be bitter towards them. Don't say, oh, you know, they got up so early. Now, I, uh, who gave breath today? God Almighty. Who gave them to you? God Almighty. We have to have gratitude towards God. We need to say, Lord, I, I'm tired out of my mind. But Lord, I know that you love me. You have grace for me. You have things for me today. Lord, what are you trying to teach me through this? Can I be honest with you for a second? I'll be real, real here. Okay? Just remember, I'm the chief of all sinners here. With my eight kids, I've, I've committed all these. I'm telling you. Look, sometimes we're all crazy tired in the morning because... We stayed up too late. We watched television for an additional hour or two. Putzed on our phones. We had an opportunity to rest and get sleep, and we didn't. Now, again, children and babies need to eat in the middle of the night. They get sick. They have needs. They get scared. All those things happen. Those are true life things. And by the way, when your kids get older, guess what? They like to come plop in and have conversations when you're ready for bed. Parents, older parents, parents with kids coming in this age bracket, don't shoo them off. You can't plan the important conversations. And, and, and I want to prove this to you simply by this. How many times have you told your children something and they didn't, they didn't receive it, they didn't get it, and then one day you hear them say, oh, I was in class or I was at church or, or whatever, and someone was talking, or I read this in a book or saw a, a, a video, and, and they said this, and you're like, in your head, I told you this a hundred times. <laughs> and all of a sudden, God used somebody else to bring them light. When God opens their eyes, you have to make yourself available. Right? So, don't spend your time chopping your legs out from underneath you by your own selfish desires and pleasures, okay? But we need to not be bitter or cause our children to become bitter against us and God. How do we do that? By being indifferent to our children. When we do not discipline for repentance and restoration to God, our children become burdens to themselves, their family, and their society. In connection, we must teach our children that God forgives them because Jesus died for their sins. Galatians 1.4 and 1 John 1.9. Our children must be taught that work is essential to our happiness and meaning and purpose. 
2 Thessalonians chapter 3 tells us this. You know, so many emotional and psychological problems exist today because getting out of work seems to be the goal of life. But when God put Adam in the garden and then blessed him with his wife, he was there to tend and to guard and to care and to make it fruitful and multiply. And then in their own lives, have children, be fruitful and multiply and take dominion of the whole world and to make that glorious and beautiful and fruitful and better. Right? God intended it and created us for work. And somehow we like, I got to have a certain amount of money so I can quit working. I'm going to tell you something. My experience is people who work so they get to retirement, right? And they stop doing everything. They're going to be dead in a very short amount of time because God created them to work, to do, to have purpose, to serve, but to labor. Our children must be taught to have gratitude and thanksgiving. We see this in Psalm 92 and Psalm 96. 1 Thessalonians 5, beginning in verse 18, tells us this, In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. This is, this is important. This teaches our children to trust God's providence in their lives and to do it in humility and contentment. How many of you guys have ever had a flat tire? Raise your hand. Ever had a flat tire? When you saw that flat tire, did you say, I thank you, Lord, for giving me this flat tire? I picked something easy. But, but, I, but, but the truth is, when things happen in your life that disrupt your plan, that pushes you to the side, that baby crying in the middle of the night perhaps, do you give God thanks? Do you have gratitude towards God? Every time you begin to complain, about what God is doing in your life, all the struggles, all the difficulties, when you put that all out there, you are teaching your children and all those that can hear your voice that you don't have gratitude towards God and what He's doing. I know if you've ever stopped and taken time, you've looked back and said, man, I'm thankful I had that flat tire because, or that delay because there was this horrible wreck right there. I missed it by just moments. We've seen things like that in your life. Have gratitude. Teach your children to have gratitude so that they understand that they are, this is God's provident hand in their life. And it teaches them to be humble before God and it teaches them to be content. Here's another big one, just in terms of an easy, low-hanging fruit. How about traffic? Listen, we are to teach them to live sacrificially with gratitude and to be full of giving things. This includes the giving of your tithes. And remember, your tithes represent all that you do. So if your kids, no matter how old they are, they earn money, they have chores, bring them up to the offering box before church and help them put it in. If they're not quite there yet, parents, when you pay your tithe, if you have one child, carry them with you to the box. Let them put it in the box. Tell them what you're doing. 
right? If you got a bunch of kids and you're putting that one in there, you do this. You get a rotation going. And by the way, this teaches them, you think, I'm never going to remember this. Kids remember, right? If you, if you have four kids and you say, okay, first Sunday of the month is you, and you kind of go down the list, trust me, they're, they're chomping at the bit. It's my turn this week. Include them and teach them to be giving sacrificially and to tithe. Children must be taught that we have a mission. Who we are and why we are here is defined in God's word. We're to worship, to glorify God and enjoy him forever. As we complete the tasks given us in dominion and fruitfulness in all that God has given us. Remember this. A lot of times this whole thing about dominion, it's, it's spacey, it's far out there. But God has given everyone in this room certain things they're responsible for, starting with themselves. Children, your bedrooms, you have dominion over that. Right? How do they care for things? All of what you have, you're responsible for that. So teach them how to care for those things, do those things, care for others. The relationships in their life. Right? They're responsible for that. Help them to learn that that is what they're called to do, to worship God and be a blessing and make things in the world that they have control over better. They are to be taught that they need friends. The church particularly, because friends are essential for salvation. All of a sudden, somebody got tight. We need to teach our children to build and sustain fruitful relationships. They are not to live in isolation. They must be taught that our lives are bonded to one another. If we are Christians, everyone in this room is bound together. Why? One baptism, one faith. When we come up here and we have communion, we're one body. And we're breaking the body of Christ. We're joined to the Father through the work of Christ and to one another. This is really important. We must learn to help one another in joyful Christian service. When we teach that friends are part of how God molds us into his image. Now, now here, here's what. I'm going to unpack that in just a second. We need to teach them how all people in their lives, including their friends, including the people that they're around, are part of how God molds us into his image. It seems sometimes, like when we hear that, we're confused. Like, what does that mean? But remember what we've been talking about sometime in our, in our Bible studies and book studies, but we also see that, that God uses people to sanctify us to challenge our selfishness, to help us recognize the sin in our own hearts. When someone sins against your child, you're not teaching them about vengeance. You're teaching them how to take it to God, how to uh, see that God is using them in their life, even if it's hard and difficult. Here's one other thing. When you teach them that they need other people, they learn that mom and dad are not enough. They learn that they need God and his people. 
Our children must learn habits to be godly husbands and wives. Not going to take any time on that today other than to say, if you're wondering about that, go back and listen to last week's sermon. Our goal as parents and those whom God has charged with assisting parents in their call to train up worshipers of the Almighty is not simply for man-made virtues, but that they may be faithful, steadfast, and upright for God's glory. Right now, if you're feeling overwhelmed, inadequate, don't worry. You're right. You're not enough. 2 Corinthians 3 tells us this, And we have such trust through Christ towards God, not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think of anything as being from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God, who also made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. We are ministers to our children, by the way, who are our brothers and sisters in Christ, which he has bestowed upon us for God's purposes and glory. The Spirit changes their hearts. The Spirit sustains them. And the Spirit uses us to minister to them. In parenting, we should be full of the joy of the Lord. Psalm 127.5 says, Happy is the man who has a quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but shall speak with their enemies in the gate. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, please be gracious to us to send your Spirit upon us, that, may we, that we may truly and faithfully love and obey your Word, especially in bringing up our children in the fear and admonition of you. Grant that we may teach our children to hate sin, to forgive each other as you have forgiven us, because of the work of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. By your grace, bestow upon us the fortitude to joyfully lay down our lives for our children. Help us to humbly lead our children according to your word, for we know that their salvation belongs to you. Be gracious to our children and keep them. Please restore our children who have seemingly forsaken you. We ask these things for the sake of your Son, Jesus, who reigns with you in the Holy Spirit forever and ever. Amen. Amen.